Nature Clean has been making non-toxic household cleaning and personal care products since 1963. Their ingredients are naturally derived from plants and minerals for an effective yet environmentally friendly clean. Many Nature Clean products are approved by the USDA as being certified bio-based and all their products are vegan and not tested on animals. Shop for many of their plastic-free cleaning options online at natureclean.ca. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. Oh, God, you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Uh, about a month ago, I did a show with the fantastic Jordan Tischler, MD. He's a cannabis specialist, accomplished author, teacher, naturally sought-after speaker, and tireless patient advocate. We talked about medical applications of cannabis. If you did not hear that, don't go now, but it is episode 1014, again, medical applications of cannabis and more with Jordan Tischler, MD. Today, we're going to be talking about sex and cannabis and how it can enhance that experience. I am super excited. Hello, Dr. Tischler. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It's really exciting to be here. Well, you know, it's funny. For the people who listen to the show, most of them know, because I've mentioned it uh, just a few times, that I have a book called Clean Eating, Dirty Sex, and it's a play on words. And it looks at your health and your fitness and your communication with your partner and your self-care and your skincare and what you're eating. At the time, I hadn't used edibles yet. That's the way I consume cannabis. And darn it, I wish I had. So if I do another book, uh, we should do something together. That's a whole other topic. So I was noticing that when I use cannabis, everything tastes amazing. Yeah, like things that? just, t- there, there is one issue with that. I tend to eat too much. So maybe we could address that as well. But I don't think I have any secret sauce on that one, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. All right. I just have to find some uh, self-control. Uh, but what, you know what I usually do, though? Here's what I usually do. If I know that I'm going to take cannabis or I'll take an edible or two or whatever, I will make sure I have something I don't have very often. That's a treat. Yeah. And then it's like amplified and it's amazing. So I'm thinking I haven't had sex yet with cannabis and I want to. And I love now for me to stop talking. I guess people are like, is he going to get a word in edgewise? So Dr. Tischler, jump on in. So, you know, yes, what you've just described is a is a fundamental um, attribute of cannabis, which is really heightens all of the sensory experiences. So, you know, you mentioned um, taste being amplified and not just amplified. Well, you know, actually amplified is a good word because, for example, um, I have a, a favorite wine that we drink relatively frequently. I don't drink very much, but, um, and, uh, it's very sort of full bodied, fruity, fairly sweet. It's a Riesling, but it's got a, you know, some acidic notes to it. And I'm, listen to me, I sound like an onophile and I'm not, but the point being is that sometimes when I use cannabis, it is the best thing. It's just bursting with fruit and sunshine. And then other times, same cannabis, same me. I'm like, all I taste is that sort of sour note and I have to put it down. So it really does amplify the sensations, but it also 
amplifies them not always in the same direction. Um, and so the context, I think, is very important and sometimes difficult to pin down. So another example is, you know, sometimes you know, it's like right now here in Massachusetts, it's beautiful, it's chilly, but the sun is shining, the leaves are gorgeous, right? And the idea of going out for a nice walk that could only be enhanced by a little bit of cannabis to make those colors so much brighter and more vivid, right? Of course, one has to make sure you don't get run over by a car and that while you're taking that <laughs> walk too. Um, so contact is hugely important. And then the flip side of this, is I'll tell my patients, never take your cannabis for the first time while you're getting on the subway, right? Getting on the subway is, is a jarring experience at best, right? It's loud. People are pushing and, you know, maybe there's some folks who haven't had a shower in a few years and, you know, there's, it's just a, it's, that's a tough context and you don't want that kind of milieu when you're getting used to cannabis, um, Cannabis and sexuality is sort of the same thing. You know, you can really enhance things or you can completely blow it if you don't use cannabis properly and you don't set the stage properly. Well, talk about that stage setting and proper usage for sexual activity. Well, let's start with proper usage first because it sort of leads into the stage setting stuff. Um, the first is you had mentioned edibles. And I think that a lot of people like edibles in large measure because, you know, eating a gummy or something like that feels kind of normal. Like we know what that, that experience is like. And for a lot of folks, the idea of smoking or other forms of inhalation feel unnatural. We've all grown up with a whole lot of propaganda saying don't smoke cigarettes, which is good because we shouldn't smoke cigarettes. Um, but what we have to realize, taking just a little step back, is that cannabis, like many medications, behaves differently depending upon how we take it. And so the edibles are nice in that they're um, convenient and familiar, but they take a long time to start working. And worse than that, they are sort of variable and maybe a little bit unreliable, meaning, you know, same cannabis product, same human being. And one day it might start to work in sort of 40 to 45 minutes. And then the next day it might be an hour and the next day it might be an hour and a half and, and sort of randomly cycling. And, you know, it's still a constrained amount of time. It's not eight hours, but it isn't immediate and it's a little unpredictable. So when we start to think about sex, you know, in most cases, we're talking about sex with at least one other partner right? Where then we need to be coordinated with them. And so the edibles become a little bit dicey if we're trying to have a, a partnered experience. Um, there's been a huge uh, push, uh, maybe it's died down a little bit, but you know, a couple years ago, people were putting together these sort of um, curated um, uh, dining experiences with multiple courses of infused stuff. And, and, you know, I think that they're, that's sort of, um, entertaining and whatnot, but when it comes to the idea of like a romantic evening that then might lead into a sexual encounter, my best advice is don't infuse the food because you're going to end up with less control over the dose 
and the dose is crucial to making sure you get enough but not too much. And also, because everyone's body chemistry is a bit different, you really have no idea that everyone's going to end up at the same place at the same time. Um, so for that reason, in, in the sexuality arena, I tend to not recommend the edibles. Um, I don't also recommend smoking. So I, what I do recommend is, is flower vaporization. Um, and let me clarify that. I think when, when I say vaporization, I think most people's minds immediately go to those little pen shaped devices with the oil cartridges. And, um, I tend to call those oil pens or vapes just to distinguish them from a different sort of device, which is this flower vaporizer that I'm talking about. What we know about those little oil pens is that they're really not very sophisticated devices. And as a result, they actually combust that oil. And so now we're functionally inhaling burning oil. And yes, we don't want that. That's, that's bad for us. That was my concern. On top of that, there was a study that was published literally this week. Um, out of out of Washington State, where they took a bunch of those oil pens and they actually dismantled them, ground them up with or without the cannabis material in them. And what they found was that they're putting out absolutely enormous amounts of heavy metals, um, some of which come from the cannabis, but most of it comes from the device itself and then can get into the cannabis and into the cannabis vapor. And so, you know, it was all kinds of things like lead and copper and antimony and uh, a whole bunch of others, none of which are things that are good for human beings. And one of the things about heavy metals is that our bodies really don't know what to do with them. It's not like... Um, you know, there are some some chemicals that if we ingest them, then either our liver or our kidneys figure out how to deal with them and get rid of them. Heavy metals aren't that easy. Uh, our bodies don't tolerate heavy metals very well. And so you can get into kind of a world of hurt, particularly over a long term of use. So I don't recommend those vape pens per se. But when we look at the alternative, which are these flower vaporizers, they're slightly larger, slightly less convenient devices. Um, they certainly fit in your hand these days. Um, but the idea is because they're larger, they actually have a little computer brain in them. And that computer brain is measuring the temperature in the bowl so that we know that it gets, when we set it to 350, which incidentally is the correct temperature, 350, I always say, just like we were making cookies, um, <laughs> that's the ideal temperature. But we can be reasonably assured that the device is smart enough to actually not only get there, but stay there. And the real problem is as you draw on these devices, they tend to heat up over up higher and higher. Um with each repeated inhalation, except if you have this computer brain, which kind of turns down the heat when is necessary. So those devices do a better job of, of extracting the cannabis medicines without providing, you know, those toxins that come from combustion. And what is this called again? Well, they're flower vaporizers. Yeah. So there are many, many of them out there. I mean, uh, you know, there's a company uh, that's called Stores and Bickle that makes a machine called the Crafty. Probably people are familiar with its sort of older big brother, which was the Volcano, which was kind of like the frat boy toy. Um, there's a company out, there's a company called Airizer that makes a bunch of them. There's a company that, um, 
uh, packs makes, uh, you know, the packs uh, two and three. Um, and all of those devices fall into this category. I actually don't particularly care for all of those. Uh, there's a, a, a lesser well-known one, which is confusingly entitled one O-N-E uh, that I like particularly because it's small and as good as these other ones, if not better, but actually cheaper. So, oh, really? you know, it's $129 plus some tax and stuff. But, um, so that's the one I recommend to my patients. But, um, but in reality, in terms of the safety and function, any of these things will do just fine as long as we set it to that 350 number. Um, you know, there are things about each one of them that, that, you know, like the, the crafty is a great device, but it's 280 some odd dollars. So that's expensive for what it is. Back when it was new, it was, what there was, and that was expensive, but it was the best thing out there. Uh, the the PAX machines are super sexy looking. They tend to clog up a bit, so they, they require more attention and stuff. The the one I recommend one is um is just kind of cheap and easy to use and very effective. And I can't argue with that, particularly for my patients who generally are less interested in how sexy it looks and more you know just does it do the job for me. Exactly. Okay. So what exactly are you inhaling then? And how is that not hurting your lungs? I just want to make sure everyone understands, excluding me. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's a good question. So, you know, when we put cannabis in a pipe and literally light that stuff on fire, we create all manner of stuff. Um, So the first thing we do is, or one, one thing we do is we vaporize cannabinoids. And that's sort of what we want to inhale. And in there are a range of these chemicals that come from the plant material. Uh, THC is certainly one of the best known. And then there's some CBD and CBN, and but there's a whole bunch of them. Um, and so that's kind of what we want to get. But when we actually are burning this stuff, then we get a whole bunch of other things, uh, which are generally toxic and come from combustion of either the cannabinoids or the terpenes, which are the sort of flavor aroma chemicals, or from the actual burning of the woody plant material, right? Um, And then the third thing is we also make a whole bunch of very small, fine particulates, right? We tend to think of, of smoke as being a gas, which it is in part, but it's also got a lot of just kind of like grit in it, crap. Um, and so the toxins that we get and things like benzene and acrolein or metacrolein, these are all just really dangerous chemicals. When we inhale them, they go into our lungs. They have some effects on the lung tissue directly, but then they also go into our bloodstream and get distributed everywhere through our body, which is just a really bad news. Um, the particulates, if they're large enough, then they get stuck in the mucus in our lungs and we cough them out and that's not such a big deal. But if they're small enough, then they get down deep into our lungs where we don't have the ability to really deal with them. And they're essentially kind of like an irritant. It's kind of like getting sand in your eyes, right? And if it sits there and sort of annoys you long enough, uh, eventually what you do is you develop cancer and we don't want that. No. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphus for Menopause. So when you're when you're inhaling the vapor, it's just those cannabinoids. And that's why the 350 mark is really important. If we go much below 350, we'd start to get nothing. Like, you know, we'd lose the cannabinoids. If we go up from 350, then we start to get into that combustion range at about 400 degrees. 
there's not much worth talking about between 350 and 400. So there's no value in say 375, except then it's hotter and then it's less pleasant to inhale. So 350 is really kind of the, the, the sweet spot there. So when you go to the dispensary, what are you, what are you buying exactly? Mm. Just the flower? Yeah. And that's a whole nother discussion that I think we sort of touched on in our, our previous uh, conversation is that, you know, there's over 7,000 different types of flower out there, at least if you go by the search engine on Leafly. And I have found occasionally some strains that aren't even on Leafly. So there's more than 7,000 of them. And the industry very much wants us to believe that each one of these types is different. And therefore, you know, whether you're a patient or a recreational user and you're looking for a specific effect, that you need to start, start buying a whole bunch of this stuff and try them all out. And that's really good for selling cannabis. But in fact, when we start to think about really specific outcomes, um, there's really no evidence that supports that they're any different at all. So people may say, oh, I really prefer, you know, a blue dream over a strawberry cough. Okay, fine. You know, I often make the analogy to pizza, right? Some people like pepperoni, some people like mushroom, that's fine, each to their own. But if the question isn't, what do you like? The question is, are you hungry after you eat the pizza? The answer is any pizza will do, right? Right. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, similar. So, I mean, there's been many, many articles written about the best strains for sex. It's bullshit. It's just bullshit. You know, <laughs> the bottom line is that what you need in order to have the best cannabis enhanced sex is good, safe cannabis that you take through this flower vaporizer we've been talking about so that it works relatively quickly. You can bring the vaporizer into the foreplay process so that everybody is together and it becomes kind of a communal activity and that it's going to work quickly enough that it isn't like somebody's raring to go and the other person isn't feeling anything yet. Um, and, 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 you know, I think the other thing we have to, um, talk about is, is we talked briefly about setting the stage, right? So there are a couple of things about setting the stage. Twenty percent, uh, and there are a whole bunch of reasons for that that are pretty technical. I think I'll just skip those for the moment, and hopefully people will just take that at face value. But one of the things that we know is that if you put that fifteen to twenty percent stuff into your machine and you take a full deep inhalation, that you're getting roughly five milligrams of the THC per inhalation. So that helps us, you know, guide how much to take. Right? Otherwise, we're just winging it. Um, I generally advise people, you know to be gentle, especially if they're new to this. We don't want them kind of ending up in, in outer space because people will find that uncomfortable and that'll be the end of that discussion. The other thing I suggest is that even if the goal is to enhance partnered sex, that that's not the way to start with this stuff and that uh, a little solo self-exploration is a good plan. So we want an opportunity to sort of feel what it's like to use cannabis and to be in that altered space. 
And then we also want to explore our bodies. And by this, I frankly, quite frankly, mean masturbate, right? To understand how it enhances our perception um, and, and sort of what those feelings are like. And I think that that is an experience that I think everybody should do several times in the right context. And again, not on the subway. Right. In your home, hopefully without, you know, the, the children crying at the foot of the bed, a nice, calm setting when you can be relaxed and focus on self-pleasure. Right? right. That's the ideal situation. And do that a few times before we start to think about bringing partners into the into the discussion. And then I think we also have to have a moment to talk about consent. Right. Of course. Um, Although, so before we go to consent, I just want to mention I did the masturbation and it was I have a wand or neck massage, neck massager. It was like the best orgasm. It was amazing. That's why I was like, holy shit. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Consent is key. Consent is key. You know, that is to say that, um, in any, uh, you know, any partnered situation, it's likely that, well, there may be one person who's more into this idea than the other. And, uh, and so there has to be a, a an upfront discussion. And there's been some thought given to the fact that when people are intoxicated, certainly on alcohol, for example, uh, that their ability to sort of um, give consent becomes questionable, right? And obviously, that's a degree. If you've had a glass of wine, I think you're unlikely to be so impaired that you you can't really reasonably consent. But if you've had a bottle or two, or the equivalent, then then things get murky. And we don't want murky when it comes to consent. We want clear, bright lines. And so I think the same thing is true with cannabis is, that, you know, this is a discussion that we had, uh, you know, at a calm moment, not in the throes of passion, and certainly not while the, dis- the, the vaporizer is on and, you know, burning battery. Um, <laughs> so, so I think that that's really important. Um, but once we've kind of accomplished that, then uh, and we've accomplished this sort of self-exploration. And again, I think the other thing is if one particular part, half of the partnership was leading this fray, then it's also probably important in the, you know, subsequent to the content, the conversation about consent to talk about the solo moment so that, you know, both partners or all partners do that individually and then reconvene for sort of the, 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 the group activity. Um, but into those circumstances, if all of that has been accomplished, I think that the opportunity for really, um, what are the words I'm looking for? Meaningful, deeply connected, spiritual, um, and possibly mind-blowing sex can result from from this level of intoxication. Wow. Now, what do you do if your partner is just not into cannabis and they're just closed-minded about it and they get annoyed with you if you want to do it and you really want to do it while having sex? How do we maneuver or not maneuver, but how do we approach delicately that conversation? You know, that's a good question. And I think that it really comes down to the the strength of the couple, you know, and their ability to to talk to each other and to even agree to disagree. 
without having to, you know, win or or browbeat. Uh, and I think, you know, in many ways, the opportunity exists in the context of this kind of a conversation to strengthen that relationship and to get to a place where um, they can have an experience, a shared experience that maybe isn't exactly the same or under the, the same circumstances. I mean, on some level, we remember that, you know, in a coupled or, uh, you know, a coupled experience, there are two individuals who bring all of their different anatomy as well as personal experiences into that bed so that there's really no reason to think that they're having the same experience anyhow. Right. Uh, so this is just kind of an added or maybe kind of more obvious aspect of this. If one person really wants to try this and the other person is kind of lukewarm about it, you know, trying to convince that person is probably not a good plan. Um, but if you can come to a place where, you know, I might try it and my partner is not going to try it, but we'll agree that that's okay. Um, then I think that's a good starting point. And then I also need to be open to feedback from her, at least in my case, that, you know, that her perception was that while we were doing it and I was intoxicated was X, Y, and Z could have been really good. You know, look how long you were able to go. Right. Or it could be, you know, you kind of seemed a little sluggish tonight, you know, um, and, and all of that feedback is reasonable as well, as long as it's done in a supportive, you know, manner so that it's helping to move the relationship forward and solidify things. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, many partners who might end up start out being kind of lukewarm after seeing how much their partner is enjoying things and how good that sex is, then they maybe get work around to trying it. And that's fine too. Or not. Right. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even saying like trying to get your partner to try it, just to let them accept that you're going to do it. They can do, they can do it or not. But well, I think that that's that's sort of the case that I deliberately sidestepped for a moment, and oh. now I'll step in it, okay. <laughs> which is, you know, like if your partner is just, you know, like a drug warrior, right? I mean, they're just like, nope, not going to do it. Uh, not only I'm not going to do it, but you can't do it. I would have to say, I think that there are larger issues in that relationship than the, just the cannabis and that there may need to be some further discussion and maybe even some therapy uh, brought to bear, not because of the cannabis aspect, but because the cannabis is now bringing out a way in which the couple is functioning where they're not communicating very well. They're not necessarily being supportive of each other and, um, and possibly even being a little bit manipulative of each other. And, and those are kind of orange to red flags that might say to somebody, you know, maybe this isn't the best relationship or if it is a long-term relationship, maybe we need some counseling to better iron out some of the ground rules and, and, and sort of strengthen our relationship that way. Right. I think for some people, you know, like maybe they had a parent who was an alcoholic. And it's funny because you're using the word intoxicated. Oh, I use that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. See, I used to talk to my husband. He goes, I don't like when you're intoxicated. I'm like, I'm not intoxicated. So I'm like, oh, crap. Um, because if you have a parent that was intoxicated and you didn't like it and it brings up stuff, I think that's more reasonable than like, oh, they're just being an ass. No question. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we can look right at our president 
um, who's very lukewarm at best about cannabis reforms. And, you know, he has some personal experience that things didn't go well. Now, having nothing to do with cannabis in his case, uh, but just this idea that cannabis is an intoxicating drug, um, you know, but in fairness, not all substances are the same. Not all intoxications lead to the same outcomes. And that it is sort of easy to understand, but not really appropriate to kind of lump them all in the same basket. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's easier to set policy. Nope, we're not going to go there. I mean, it's very black and white. Heart, it's, it's easy to get to that policy. It's easy to maintain that policy, but it isn't the most rational policy and it isn't the kindest policy. Um, and... And so, you know, whether we're talking on the national level or we're talking about in the bedroom, ultimately, if the goal, and I would hope the goal is to develop a policy, if you will, that is mutually supportive, then we have to look very specifically at the, at the cases in front of us and say, you know, I'm not your mother. I'm not, you know, the person who abandoned you. They may have abandoned you and used substances, but it wasn't simply the substance that, that caused that, you know, and I'm not going anywhere and I'm going to be using this substance in a very specific, controlled, thoughtful, mindful way. That's just very different from saying, well, from the fear, which is, well, cannabis is a gateway drug, which, by the way, has been disproven. Um, but, you know, gateway drug, next thing you'll do, you know, you'll be snorting horse and then, you know, injecting. And pretty soon I'll have to, you know, carry the Narcan into the bedroom. Uh, that I think that's a very, I don't want to say it's a reasonable fear, but it is the fear that has been instilled in us. And I, I often say to many of the, many of my patients who are sort of of a certain age, meaning we kind of came of age in the 1980s. We all grew up with Nancy Reagan saying, just say no, whether it was drugs or sex or whatever. And you're not half supposed to have any of that. You know, and then there were frying pans and eggs. And yeah, I, brain, I actually yeah. honestly think that we're all stuck with that, that that's so deeply ingrained that there's always going to be some level of that in our thought process. And then it becomes really harder, but still on us as mature adults to say, you know, I recognize that that was propaganda. I realize that I've been influenced by it, but I'm smarter than that, you know, and I can look at this in a much more rational science evidence driven basis and say, look, undoubtedly excessive use of cannabis is bad for you. No question, but small reasonable amounts are not excessive and they can be helpful in certain circumstances, whether we're talking about medically speaking or, you know, in this case, sexually or sort of as an interpersonal thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the reasons I don't use the word intoxicated is because only once did I take enough edibles or I was literally on the couch laughing and I kept like slapping my legs. Then I'd lift my arms and go, why am I doing this for like three hours? It was great. My family was so annoyed, but I had fun. The other times, I make three dinners because I have food sensitivities, and my daughter wanted this, and my husband wanted I clean the house. I take, walk the dog. So I'm like, I don't think of myself as intoxicated. I feel a little lighter. Food tastes a little better. But I'm, I I'm, I don't take it when I'm working. But I mean, I'm I, the three meals turned. I didn't burn anything. I wasn't completely spaced out. I don't think of myself as intoxicated. So how do you do that like little bit to just lighten you up or whatever versus like I'm slapping my legs and laughing like a maniac? Right. And I think that, you know, the, the reality there is that's exactly about dosing and dosing correlates with intentionality. 
right? So, um, and you know, just as an aside, I use the word intoxicate because it's a fairly um, medical term, right? Oh, okay. As opposed to high or buzzed or stoned or you know all of those things. And when I'm talking to my patients, I also want to sort of draw an uh, a, a parallel, and it's not a perfect one, but it's an analogy to alcohol. Um, in terms of medical benefit, there's just no comparing alcohol and cannabis. But in terms of what my new to cannabis patients are worried about, they are worried about sort of taking one puff on their vaporizer and suddenly they're, you know, Cheech and Chong, right? Right. Um, they're worried that this is going to turn them into drooling morons. Apologies to Cheech and Chong. Um, <laughs> And, and so, you know, so I need to kind of put it in terms that they have some comparisons, right? And most people, even if they don't drink very much, have had half a glass to a glass of wine and have felt a little tipsy or something like that. And when I'm trying to help them understand what a five milligram gummy is going to do to them or two, you know, 10 milligrams, um, that's an analogy that helps them understand that we're talking about something that is an altered state. There's no question. It's not going to be nothing, but it's minor and it's nothing to worry about. And it's nothing to sort of stare at the gummies and go, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this kind of thing. Um, and I have patients, you know, for whom the the anxiety over being altered is so great that they you know, I've, I've had patients who've come to see me every six months, like clockwork, and over a period of two years, they've never actually taken the cannabis medicine. I was like, why are you keep coming back to me under the circumstances? But I think that they, they still sort of hold out this great hope that it can help them, but they can't quite bring themselves to take it. Now, thankfully, there's just like two or three people over thousands. So, oh, uh, you know, it's generally not a big deal, but... But that's just kind of the extreme example of what I see more commonly, which is that people just need a little hand-holding in order to feel confident enough that they can then um, put their toe into waters that they've never been in before and where there's so much said and so much stigma uh, around it that they have all kinds of preconceived notions, most of which are not accurate, let's put it that way. So. Yeah. I mean, again, that kind of really goes back to that whole, you know, doing this solo thing, right? It's just you don't necessarily want to be in a position where, you know, you're worried about your own internal feelings as well as your partners and am I doing it right and are they enjoying it and all that sort of stuff without, you know, just kind of figuring yourself out a little bit first before we get into the with those other issues. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things that is a challenge for me is sometimes my mouth gets so dry, especially with the dark chocolate edibles, the things I love how they make me feel like I can get really silly. And I like that. Like if I know I don't have to drive, I don't have to do anything. I, you know, I can just sit on the couch and be silly. It kind of dries you out, right? Doesn't it? No matter what you do or no. All right. So you're, you're absolutely right. So, let's, you know, we, we've been talking about intoxication essentially as a side effect, which is the way I think about it. And we should mention some of the others. So at some point you had mentioned the munchies and now we've got dry mouth on the table. These are just part and parcel of it. And you're right. I mean, it's very hard to do certain sexual acts when your mouth is very dry. The only answer to that is to, is to bring some water with you, right? And, you know, it's not um, 
it's not hard to imagine having a cup or maybe a um, water bottle at the bedside, particularly if both of the partners are have taken cannabis. So you sort of equally uh, dry mouth. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's that's not a big issue, but it requires maybe just a little bit of forethought and planning. Um, you know, to a question you had asked, in fact, the reason our mouths get dry is because the THC actually binds to the receptors on our salivary glands and turns them off. And oh. so we're not actually dehydrated. And if you drink a lot of water while you're intoxicated, you'll end up just spending a lot of time in the bathroom peeing it back out. Yeah, and then sex is more uncomfortable too. <laughs> exactly. So I always say just little sips to wet the mouth. Uh, you don't really need to be chugging anything. Uh, and, it, and you don't get lightheaded because you're dehydrated or any of those other things. You're not dehydrated. You just don't have any saliva in your mouth. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I want I have nothing to do with this company though. I love them. Woo for Play makes an incredible, incredible lube that's made from coconut oil, vanilla, stevia, it's insane and it tastes delicious. As a matter of fact, my dog Blue, he's eaten two bottles of it because I'll forget to put it back in the drawer <laughs> or tubes of it. All right. Well, keep like, the yeah. cannabis lube away from the dog because THC is not good for dogs as far yeah. as I understand. Well, this one doesn't have any cannabis. Right, right. This is, this is just, just but I lube. hear what you're saying. Oh, there is cannabis. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. But I'm just saying if you want lube. something for your mouth, it's just delicious. But oh, well, tell us about the <laughs> cannabis lubes. That sounds fun. Well, I will actually say that um, I don't generally recommend cannabis lubes. I think oh, okay. that, um, that if you want or need a lube, you're better off with something like you had just described, which is, you know, just a lubricant. But um, there are a couple of issues with, with the cannabis lubes. One is um, uh, that they're very slow to work. Right. And so we're looking at sort of 30 to 40 minutes. So it's not like, uh, come on, let's go, go and slap a little somewhere and off to the races the way you might with a with a conventional lube. Um, people who design these things talk about you need to marinate in it, you know, which means, again, that you have to be thinking forward a lot. And, and, and that can be challenging. Um, but the other thing, which I think is much more important, actually, is that uh what I usually say is that 90% of sexuality occurs between the ears, not between the legs. So if you use a cannabis lube, even if it's working, it's only really addressing the sort of down there, which is the lesser part of where the action happens. So when we inhale it, now we're getting a systemic effect, a neurocognitive emotional effect. And, and that's really what I think enhances uh, the sex the most. Yes, you can increase sensitivity down there, particularly for women um, with topical application, but it, it's just kind of, um, oh, I hate to say it this way, but th that's kind of the tip of the iceberg of the benefit that we can get and, and that we're much more effective if we use it systemically. Okay. Well, you know, being that this is naturally savvy, we care deeply about what we put in and on our body. So if you're going to use a lube, if it's not woo for play, find another one that has natural ingredients. You know, that's that's very important. And that's another reason why I like having you on because, you know, I don't want people smoking. Like, bottom line, that's just me. And, you know, the show, we want people to be their healthiest. And I don't think inhaling any kind of smoke is good. So that's why it was so interesting to hear about the vapor the vapor and it's not a vape again just to remind right. people that's it flower vaporizer um 
There was one point I wanted to make earlier on, and we kind of got off in a different direction. I wanted to talk more about dosing for men in particular. Oh, yes. Um, In general, cannabis works really well uh, for both men and women or males and females, um, both recreationally and therapeutically. But here's for men, we have to pay a little bit more attention to the dose, right? There have been a bunch of studies that show that, you know, you can give women sort of vast doses of cannabis and, you know, they get sleepier and they get maybe a little bit sillier and whatever, but but in terms of sort of intercourse, things still kind of go along okay. Um, with men, it's, it's not quite that simple because it turns out that getting and maintaining an erection is an active process. It's not the sort of thing that that works if you're not sort of there to to pay attention, right? And so, you know, with a little bit of cannabis, what we can find is that your sensation is heightened and your mind is freed and all of those good things. But as you cross some magical line, your consciousness becomes so out there that you're not in the moment and things tend to wilt. Um, and that doesn't work so well for sex. Um, so with men, I really try to push the idea of like counting your puffs and that probably two puffs, so 10 milligrams, is most likely the sweet spot for most people unless they were diehard smokers to begin with. You know, I'm, I'm undoubtedly there um, are people out there um, who enjoy having sex with a partner who is completely passive. But I would guess that that's, um, you know, a smaller group than the total and that mm, I would maybe even go so far as to say I think most people enjoy having their partner actively engaged in this sexual act. Um, And so if, you know, so regardless of gender, I think if you push the dose too far, you're going to end up with either uh, that kind of passivity or, in fact, you know, just kind of dysfunction. Um, So dosing is dosing is key. When we had our last conversation, you talked about the importance of working with somebody like you because otherwise you go there to the dispensary and they'll just, they might give them something that really isn't what they need, especially for medical reasons, right? Sure. So do you work with people everywhere? Everywhere. Zoom, it's like a miracle. And I've been able to take care of people all over the world. Um, I can't wait. You know, as far away as Saudi Arabia. which was interesting too, because they're not very cannabis friendly at that, at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, so people can reach out to me and I can help them, you know, world over. And, uh, the best way to do that actually would be to go to my website, which is inhalemd.com. Uh, again, inhalemd.com. And on the website, you can number one, reach out to us. Uh, but number two, we have a blog section, which has, uh, hundreds of articles, some of which are more medically oriented. Some of them talk specifically about sexuality. And so I highly recommend that people check those out because it's just a good baseline uh, knowledge to have. And that will just enhance our, our conversation together. This is so great. You know, I'd love to have you back to talk about tapering off your medication. Let's say you are on anti-anxiety, but you don't need them. You talk to your doctor. Like, I don't want people just doing this on their own. I think they need to figure out what's good for them, maybe, or maybe disagree. I don't know. But don't just stop is what I'm saying. 
Well, some some of those medicines, uh, like the benzos, if you are taking them uh, regularly enough and you stop them, it's actually quite dangerous. Um, so you don't want to do that. The SSRIs, you know, you can stop them cold turkey. Some people will have withdrawal type symptoms and that's unpleasant, won't kill you the way the benzos might. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, this comes up a lot. A lot of people come to me and they say, uh, I'm taking X, Y, and Z and I would rather substitute cannabis and get off them. And in some situations, the answer is sure, let's do that. Other situations are like, you know what, frankly, you're probably still going to need some of those medicines and that thankfully these, the, you know, cannabis and these medicines play nicely together. Um, and then there's also the question, which I don't think was your intention, but I'll throw it into the, into the pile here is another people come to me and they say, I'm using cannabis. And, and then we have a discussion in which I re realize that they're using cannabis way too much. And how do we get them to um, come back into a more healthful range without taking them off it because they actually have legitimate problems for which cannabis could be helpful? Right? I mean, if somebody is just purely recreational and they're using too much, then we can just say, okay, stop, right? And yeah, there may be some withdrawal or whatever, but that will help bring their tolerance down. And people in the, in the cannabis world talk about tolerance breaks. Um, but if somebody has underlying, say, back pain and they're getting relief from cannabis, but they're using an unhealthful amount, you don't want to just say, just stop. And it becomes a much more complicated and nuanced process of sort of trying to wean them down so that they're still getting the benefit they need, but they're not getting the exposure that is, is excessive. Yes. And, and just to, to add... You know, one of the reasons I was anti-cannabis for so long is because the people that I knew, they literally did it morning, noon, and night. They were high all the time, and it wasn't good, nope. and it was unhealthy, and, and, and I was like, and they were smoking, too. Right. This was back in the 80s, yep. and it was a way to avoid their problems, and I think, um, you know, it, there's some, use it a little bit, right? But you don't want to just completely go overboard. I think... Every medicine has risks and benefits, and the reality is, is that a large portion of the medical job is to know which medicine is right and how to use it properly so that we maximize the benefits and minimize the risks and side effects. I mean, that's, that's a ton of what doctors do, um, and I don't see the cannabis as any different. It's really about, are we using it for the right reasons? And when are we using it and how much are we using? And, you know, you mentioned the people who do the wake and bake, and we've got lots of data at this point to, to show that that's just not a, that's not good. It's not good for their bodies. It's not good for their ability to learn if they're in school. We know that school performance actually drops off. Uh, in one study showed a full letter grade. Uh, people's work performances can suffer. Um, but it, but the key is that that, that approach isn't the best approach. There are better approaches. It's not a, well, you know, you can't do it at all. No, it's you have to do it thoughtfully and carefully so that we end up with the best outcome. Dr. Tischler, I'd love having you on. Tell us again well, how we can reach you, and I can't wait to have you back. Okay. Please visit me at my website, which is inhalemd.com. Um, and again, you can read lots of articles there, and you can reach out to us, and we'll get right back to you. 
Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.